In Diesem Wetter is the longest of the Kintetotenlieder songs and is written for the largest orchestral accompaniment in the most complex and asymmetrical form of all of its songs. A fitting conclusion to the song cycle, it summarizes motivic, rhythmic, and thematic material that appears in the preceding songs. Descending chromatic phrases, frequent falling major and minor seconds, plunging leaps at theme endings, not to mention variants of thematic phrases from the other songs, are its quintessential elements. Unlike the earlier songs, wide vocal intervals are prominent. The use of special orchestral effects to establish the stormy atmosphere in all but the final stanza is especially creative, because the intensity, turbulence, and profound anguish expressed in the music is not produced through orchestral power, but by layers of overlapping figuration. Rhythmic snippets, grace-noted fragments, trill descending phrases, and pizzicatos that engulf the long line theme in waves of sound that propel the music forward without leading to an orchestral explosion. Muted strings dampen the sound so that forte passages are tempered. The overall effect is that of an emotional tempest kept under control, yet urging to express internalized rage. Its agitated figuration engenders an image of someone racing through a storm, as in the opening of Act I of Die Valkyrie. The only other Mahler song that creates such ferocity is the third from the Gazellen songs. But there the painful emotions of the lover's torment are not restrained, but conveyed with intense fury, bordering on madness. Mahler makes the most of this song's repeated refrain with slight textual variations on the opening line by focusing upon the storm as a metaphor for the tensions internalized in the earlier songs. Here they burst out as nowhere else in the cycle. Immediately we are aware that the pervasive, though sometimes disquieting, calm of the earlier songs has vanished. The extensive prelude begins as flitting rhythmic figures dart past each other in great agitation. Trilled, falling phrases well up and recede like turbulent winds in a raging storm. A long-line theme in oboe and English horn serves as a counterweight to the flurry of rhythmic material that engulfs it. That theme contains many of the elements that will permeate the vocal line, particularly wide leaps and chromatic falling phrases. The most significant of these elements is a three-note anapestic figure, which we'll call motive Y, that begins with a rising half-step and then leaps by an octave, repeating sequentially with the top note falling in whole steps each time, and a three-note clipped rhythmic figure, a typically Mahlerian phrase ending, that also falls by a whole step and then descends chromatically. That we will call motive Z. Motive Y is a variant on motive X from the fourth song and the Der Abschied-related three-note motto of the second. Prelude concludes with overlapping chromatic figures, 
heavily accented on weak beats to heighten the tension. With a reorchestrated treatment of the opening two bars, the singer enters on the first verse. In contrast to the wide leaping rhythms of the introduction that continue even after the singer enters, the vocal line begins almost in a low monotone. The rhythm given to the first line of the text is essentially the same as that which Mahler usually uses for the motive of longing, here evened out on repeated low Ds. It is as if longing for relief from suffering was diffused by the stormy music of the opening, and thus rendered helpless. As the vocal line begins to rise cautiously but despairingly, the oboe plays motives Y and Z, thereby continuing to suffuse the music with anguish. Suddenly the vocal line leaps upward by a seventh on the word hinaus, no longer able to restrain the emotions generated by the text and the violence of the stormy accompaniment. The music bursts out on a freshet of descending chromaticism. A phantasmagorical atmosphere emerges from these impulsive outbursts, foreshadowing similar moments in the finale of the Sixth Symphony and the Purgatorio movement of the Tenth. To the words getragen hinaus, the soloist sings a motive accompanied by flutes that has great significance in Mahler's music because of its striking resemblance to the love motive from Wagner's Ring Cycle. This motive already appeared in rhythmic variation in the second song. Marked schmerzlich, painfully, the last line of this first verse ends on another swell that brings back two measures of the introduction without its stormy rhythmic figuration. From here, this figuration will appear only in the orchestral interludes that separate each verse. Here is Wagner's love motive from Die Walküre. The horizontal variant of the motive of longing that was sung to the opening line of the first verse is now altered slightly, with the notes appearing after the bar line rising by a whole step, thereby mirroring the textual change and recalling the opening theme of the second song. Chromatic elements now invade the vocal line. Leaner orchestral forces serve principally as harmonic and melodic support for the singer, except for the reappearance of chromatically descending trilled quarter notes in the violins and the ominous motives Y and Z from the introduction. They combine to form a short bridge passage between the second and third lines. At the end of the second line, another important motivic phrase replaces the love motive heard earlier. The new motive, consisting of two eighth notes rising into the bar, followed by an octave leap and a falling diatonic minor scale, is a variant of both motive Y and the motive of redemption, as it appeared at the end of the previous song, on the words Auf jenen Hörn. Here it sounds as hopeless as it was hopeful in its earlier incarnation. Yet another example of Mahler's remarkable ability 
to transform thematic and motivic material to convey totally different emotions. A longer orchestral interlude follows. The agitated rhythms of the opening storm music reappear, though in abbreviated and attenuated form. The oboe tune of the introduction now contains the love motive, heard toward the end of the first verse, as well as motives Y and Z. Woodwinds, in a rush of falling chromatics, usher in the third verse. Mahler again varies the music for the refrain in diesem Vetta, in diesem Graus, this time by widening the interval that separates the eighth note and a crucis from the notes that follow after the bar. Each of these repeating figures is now sung pleadingly, an affectation produced by crescendoing to fortissimo. Then the music softens, and the next line is rendered softly but sadly, on essentially the same phrase sung to this line of text in the second verse. Violins and an oboe intone the XY motivic couplet with increasing force. The passage concludes as the singer enters to the words Ich sorgte sie sturben morgen, sung to a melodic phrase that appears in two Wunderhorn songs, Ravelga and Das irdische Leben. Death is also the principal subject of these songs, a possible reason for their quotation here. As an orchestral interlude, the full orchestra explodes with the opening storm music. Horns blast out motive Y, sounding nearly as terrifying as when it appears in the Tenth Symphony. During this dramatic orchestral interlude, Mahler uses the largest ensemble in the entire song cycle. Waves of sound rush about furiously, only to quickly recede, as if in sheer terror. In the midst of this raging storm, when the music seems intent on continuing to increase in intensity, the singer enters fiercely on the same refrain used for the first line of the previous verse. This time the storm silences her for a few measures, until she is able to utter the second line, sung fearfully to a twisted version of the love motive, now twice repeated, as if to elicit a sense of greater urgency. Flute and strings respond with a variation of the love motive followed by the YZ motivic couplet on an oboe and high violas, all giving the penultimate line of this verse an even more tragic character. Accompanied by a syncopated phrase that descends chromatically in the orchestra, the singer closes this verse, as she had all but the second, with words that are offered ostensibly as an excuse for not warning the children of the danger. But they really hint at profound guilt, she sings these touching words to a variation of the musical phrase to which she sang the closing lines of the other verses. This time, however, her voice rises on the word sagen, 
giving the impression that she blames herself for not saying anything to the children that might have saved them. Descending Chromatic Figuration concludes this segment. Suddenly, the descending chromatic figure is broken off by the sound of a bell, its reverberation made to sound shrill by merging with a sustained high A played fortissimo by the piccolo and given increased force by a strongly accented harp stroke and a high harmonic A on the cellos. Each soft double stroke of the bell is followed by a receding chromatic figure from the earlier storm music, now played gradually slower and with diminishing force during an orchestral interlude that serves as a transition to the final stanza. The key switches to D major for the closing section. Since the outer songs of the cycle are principally in D minor, the appearance of the major tonality at the cycle's conclusion is another example of progressive tonality. The high A that accompanies the bell sound continues softly in the violins as the voice enters with the last and longest verse. Mahler asks that it be sung faintly and slowly, like a lullaby. He replaces the musical refrain that began each of the prior verses with a simple tune of Wunderhorn-esque character, reminiscent of the song Um Schlimme Kinder. The figuration from the storm music is tamed and made to sound delicate and lyrical. Violins sing a variation of the vocal line as a counter-theme that contains melodic elements that will be included in the purgatorial movement of the Tenth Symphony. A flute takes up the transmuted string figuration in decorative variation, anticipating the ornamental accompaniment in the Schönheit movement of Das Lied von der Erde. Only a small orchestral ensemble remains to accompany the last verse resembling the chamber group used in the first four songs. The vocal line bears not the slightest hint of the pain or anguish that permeated most of these songs. Only the C major sections of the second song and the hopeful ending of the fourth contain music that might prefigure this hopeful conclusion. For the poem's last three lines, Mahler refashioned a touching melody out of thematic material appearing in songs written long before such as Im Schlimme Kinder, particularly relevant here. In the middle of this vocal melody, Mahler inserts a two-bar phrase on the notes of an A major triad, sung to the words, Si run, si run. They rest, they rest. This playful little phrase has an interesting history. It first appeared as the opening notes of the skipping nursery rhyme tune that accompanies the descending fourths 
of Ringlein, Ringlein, Rhein in the early Mahler song Hans und Grete. In this initial manifestation, it evokes a sense of childhood innocence. Then it makes its way into the middle section of Urlicht from the Second Symphony in the solo violin, repeated by Piccolo a few measures later. There, the phrase evokes the spirit of an innocent faith in redemption. Its appearance at the end of the last song of Kindertotenlieder engenders a feeling of hope for the restoration of innocence on an otherworldly plane. The development of this little figure receives its apotheosis in the light motif of the Eighth Symphony, where it symbolizes the quintessence of innocence and purity that illuminates the spirit. In the orchestral postlude that follows, a horn softly muses over the lovely tune to which the third and fourth lines of the last verse were sung, still lost in the dream world that this closing verse has miraculously wrought from the raging tempest that preceded it. Floating figuration in the celesta and strings over sustained chords and woodwinds gradually soften and recede into the depths, ending on a low D major chord that slowly dies away into silence. One wonders in these peaceful closing moments 
whether parent and child have indeed found each other on that Yenin Hun hoped for so fervently at the end of the fourth song. The principal message of the cycle, according to Henri-Louis de Lagrange, lies in the disembodied tenderness of its conclusion, where Mahler seems to have found a new answer to the metaphysical questions that had always obsessed him. The belief in eternal renewal and in the union of man with nature was one of the great revelations in this mature period. It was only one transcendental step from these songs to the illuminating spirit of the adagios from the last symphony. 